Okay, you're all good? Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. My name's Daniel Hopewell and I'm here with Simon Delaney. How are you doing, Simon? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you, Daniel? I'm okay. I was meant to be on my way to Finland today to see the Northern Lights and fortunately, as is the modern world, I'm just sort of sat at home and I went for a coffee. That was an exciting thing I had, but I can't complain otherwise. Yeah, that's, uh, that's life <laughs> these days. So, uh, second episode, uh, the first one we looked uh, had a good look under Joe Williams' kimono and uh, learned a lot about native regeneration, which I thought was really useful. I thought it was brilliant. He taught us a lot. Um, this week, we're going to be speaking to Chris Hadland or a media group, and uh, we're going to be looking at offshore tele leads. Is there anything you expect to find or you're kind of hoping to learn about? Um, I mean, offshore tele leads are another type of BC lead generation, right? It's uh, widely used in the UK, I think um, US uses it quite a lot as well, I'm not sure about other countries um, and it's had a bad rap in some places with brands and things and the call centres seem to like using them because um, of the high contact rates because obviously people have been spoken to on the phone so when you put it into a call centre I think they uh, they get a, what's called a high DMC, a decision maker contact um, so yeah, I'm just interested to learn more from like an expert about um, those sort of leads and challenges with them, what's good about them and bad about them, stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's, um, yeah, I think what I'm kind of quite curious about is they're used so frequently, or like, you know, call centers, that kind of thing, but it's, um, I always get the impression a lot of call centers kind of go for quantity over quality when it comes to leads, just kind of, you know, the impression I get is they just kind of like do their best, go through as many as possible and see what they get. And it'd be interesting to see whether he kind of adopts that approach or whether he favours kind of getting getting better leads, you know, from the start. It'd be quite interesting, I think. But um, yeah. yeah, I'm excited. I know he knows a lot of stuff about it, so I think we can learn learn quite a bit. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, Definitely. Cool. Well, yeah, we're gonna uh, we'll we'll get him in and we'll uh, hear from the experts. So um, yeah, we'll do that now. Nice one. Episode two of the B2C Lead Generation Podcast, and uh, this week we're here with Chris Hadland from Aura Media Group. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good, thank you. You? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. So, uh, I think I just will begin this by you asking, are you working from home this week or are you, are you in the office? I can't really see. This is my little office at the end of my garden. We had it built, we had it built during lockdown one. We had a knock, knock down the garage, built a new garage, and put me down here. So, that is like, that's next level working from home setup, I think. I'm impressed by that. There's a weird voyeurism to this. <laughs> I got three children, so it's about. It's about keeping out of the way, I think. <laughs> Very nice. So, um, Chris, I kind of, uh, I just want to kind of introduce you roughly to the people who are listening and watching, just so um, you know they know who you are. And yeah. You, um, you kind of, you know, you've got a wealth of experience and knowledge in the industry, but um, specifically, you worked at Tally Prospects for almost ten years, um, yes. and then you set up your own business uh, or a media group, which is doing amazingly well. You do all types of lead generation and direct marketing, but specifically, you kind of want to talk to you about. Um, offshore tele leads, um, which I yeah. guess is quite a relatively niche area of lead generation. But just to kind of get us started, could you tell us a little bit about what you do and um, how you got into working with offshore tele leads? Yeah, well, offshore tele leads, I've been associated with, I would say, for about 15 years now. So as I said, quite rightly, set up Aura Media. Coming up three years ago, um, after doing nine years at uh, Teleprospects, uh, where I was head up the um, operations and compliance teams, for that was my first induction to Telephone Survey when I worked um, at Data Locator, um, which was one of the, I would say, is one of the sort of founders of, of Telephone Survey. Um, yeah, so my, my part in Telephone Survey has been, been selling the leads, um, been running the surveys, and now here at Aura Media, we are acting like a I think they struggle ourselves like a super broker uh, where we are buying uh, telephone survey leads from a number of different sources, um, have our own process in the middle for quality controls and checks and compliance. And then we are also distributing those leads to a number of different clients across multiple sectors. Did you, um, were you at DLG when they very first started? Uh, um, doing no, no, it was, the survey was already up and running when, when I joined um, DLG. I was, I was at, Data, I still refer to it as Data Locator. I was at Data Sorry, Locator. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't know the years. I have to look on my LinkedIn to know the years. But it was um, 
I was there just before Simon um, and then um, sold to the management team, which then went obviously the various phases. I was there for four years in total. Yeah, cool. And what was, um, did the way that it was sort of operating then in terms of the offshore tele leads and buying them in the UK and running the surveys over there, has it changed much since those early days, do you remember? I imagine it has changed a lot. I must admit, I wasn't involved in the mechanics of telephone survey all those years ago. I was on the sales team. I was selling the leads. Um, but obviously we had a relationship with the teams that were running the surveys. But yeah, obviously things have evolved a lot in the last sort of years of telephone surveys in terms of the number of companies generating the leads, the number of companies involved, the number of companies buying them, um, public and professional perception about what's going on on the leads has changed massively in the last sort of 10 years. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, before we kind of, um, yeah. I mean, you touched on earlier the, uh, the public perception of Italian, which is really yeah. interesting, but just before we do that, can you kind of give us a sort of an overview of how kind of lead generation works at an offshore leads, like from the point of initial generation to, you know, the, the end point of sales and kind of your role within that? Yeah, so telephone, telephone survey in, in a nutshell, for those that run online survey, it literally is a telephone version of the same where you have a, a call centre, which phones up consumers, asks them a series of questions, introduces the themselves, um, the brand name, who they are, the purpose of the call, ask a series of questions, which would be relating to the consumer's um, interests. For example, who's your um, provider of XYZ service? Would you like a phone call from this company who responds to the question? So we're identifying, or the survey's identifying consumers with an interest in that product. Those leads are then compiled and then distributed um, either real time or they're distributed at the end of the, at the end of the survey call. Those leads are then purchased by ourselves or a number of companies that, in our space um, and then they are then fed into the clients who then call them to sell their products in line with what the customer's expecting. Yeah and what's um I guess some of the sort of the, the negative aspect that some offshore sure telephone has is this I think there's two isn't there so one is like the origination of the data that they um, originally called and the other is um, why people take part in the survey? Like, is it is there some is there something else behind it? Um, so, because obviously, I, I guess it's similar to like a co-reg site, right? Where you come in, there's like a prize. Someone follows, so they go through an answer. Sure. Is what's the sort I'd of say, the, yeah? The incentivized. I'd, none of my sources that um, run an incentivized survey. I'd say they that habit. I'd say dropped probably. Seven or eight years ago, in terms of enter this competition and I will give you a prize draw to win a hundred pound, etc. The yeah, I would say it's a bit like a co-registration site. As in, people have a choice and they enter it all. Um, so obviously, but the, the key point is always having the customer's choice. The customer there could be vocal and say, "I don't want to receive further phone calls," and their wish has got to be respected. Um, and if they do say yes, it's very clear that they are given the information about who's going to be distributing the data where it's going to go to um, and for how long they're going to be holding on to it. So it's very much the customer's got to be very clearly in control about what's going on in the call. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And then, you know, I guess you said yourself, you're selling the leads on. And yeah. So part of that is obviously finding your clients and you know, pitching it to yeah. them. Um, and a lot of the time, I guess, clients don't really mind where the lead comes from initially or what type of lead it is, as long as, um, you know, it converts and, it, it, it tends to sell away yeah. for them. But then in terms of setting yourself apart from kind of other people who are selling leads, what is it about kind of offshore tail leads that make is unique that you can sort of say to that new people? Um, in terms of what unique about what we do to other people selling offshore leads or unique to leads from an offshore survey compared to a coverage site, for example? Exactly, exactly. Uh, the offshore, you know, what makes offshore uh, leads unique to any for other form of lead generation if you were sort of to sell them onto a company? Um, the big USB for, for telephone survey leads, whether they're offshore, onshore, nearshore, has always been um, the responsibility of the individuals. Um, so for, <laughs> this person's on the telephone now, speaking to a call centre, interacting with an agent, giving their information um, about what products and services they could be interested in in the future. That person has not only 
express themselves directly to another human being over the phone that they're interested in receiving the product. So when the client falls up, follows up with their own phone call, that person's more likely to answer the phone because they're obviously more responsive and the customer is, is engaging um, with, a, with a telephone. Plus you also find a slightly, if you compare it to an online survey, you, you have a different demographic. You have a totally different um, audience that engages over the phone to maybe what engages um, online. Um, so we do find that certain clients, certain services and products, telephone survey leads are more responsive and convert better. We do find online leads um, convert better. So it's, it is sometimes a case of working out with the client what their audience is um, and, their, and their sales approach. With a lot of clients, a blend of the two types of leads, both online and offline, um, works, works better. Um, but what I'd say sets, sets it apart is that engagement with the consumer over the phone. Um, Would you say, yeah, because the, typically the conversion rates are seen as better than like a co-reg lead potentially, aren't they? And it's to do with that, the DMC rate. But once you get yeah. a DMC, do you think it's of a similar potential or better or? It can be, it, 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 it can be, it can be a lot better. Um, but again, that's where it comes down with understanding what, what the customer journey has been. So what questions was, was the consumer asked? Um, sometimes it's about how long that survey call was. Um, so we find there is an optimal period of time that a customer will spend on the phone talking to anybody, whether it's a survey call or a sales pitch selling them energy services. There's a point when the customer just gets bored. So you've got to make sure that we're respecting what the customer's wishes are um, and training the agents to ensure that they are able to pick up and detect the, um, the consumer behavior. Um, so in terms of when you get the DMC, these leads would generally would say is a higher DMC rate compared to say the average coverage site. But what we'll find is how the survey left the customer, what their engagement was, has a massive improvement um, on the conversion rate when you actually speak to the customer. So was the agent polite? Did they, if the woman lay on the phone or man on the phone said yes or no to a certain product, did the agent acknowledge it or did they try and push them into trying to oversell the product? That actually has a knock-on effect all the way down the sales chain. Yeah, D DMC, by the way, Daniel, means uh, decision maker content, <laughs> in case you didn't realize. <laughs> so it's just a term that call centers yeah. use in the sure. UK. Okay, cool, yeah, thank you. Oh, well, for anyone, if I, ask, I think that's pretty useful to... But, but what's interesting yeah. is that the offshore call centers operate in the same way, so they're, I don't know, I'm assuming they call it DMC as well, but they'll yeah, have, the, yeah. Yeah, exactly, the, the method for, an off, for, a, for a call center, wherever it is in the world, it's always, it's always the same, it's keeping, the agents um, on the phone, um, keeping them engaged, keeping the agents engaged, keeping them busy. So obviously the data they're dialing has got to be accurate. The scripting's got to be engaging for the consumers so the agents are able to engage um, with the, with, so the agents got to engage with the consumers. And again, it's all wherever that call center in the world is, they have the same challenges. Do you, and do you do stuff where you kind of pitch agents with a, a specific type of person, you kind of think, oh, this type of lead? Is better suited to this type of agent. We don't get, we don't run our own survey, so we we act as a broker, so we we sort of resell other other people's um, products. But those activities do, um, you do hear of those things getting involved, where you have certain agents with a certain demographic of of, of individuals. Typically on on survey, I don't think that happens quite as much. On a sales environment, I know that happens a lot more, where there's there's some clever software out there that identifies the right individual based on what you know about the consumer, the right call center agent phones the person to make, to build a level of empathy. But on, yeah, on the telephone survey, I'd say it's more about getting accurate data to the agents, getting the agents trained to be um, respectful and professional on the phone, the same as you would with any other sales activity that's done on a call center. Yeah, I guess that's something uh, you've looked at before, Sam, isn't it, where you kind of, it's it's not just like matching it to anyone. It's specifically saying like you know, certain people respond to certain agents, things like that. Um, yeah, they do that in the. So you look to do that on the sales side. I think like Chris was saying. So when you deliver it into call centers in the UK, for example, or start looking at the demographics of the individual and look at the sales or conversion rates per agent that is delivering to, and then start making decisions about yeah. who to deliver it to. So the classic example is like people 
buy from people that have similar accents to them. So if you have someone from Newcastle as a lead coming in, you try and either send it to a call center based in Newcastle or an agent as a, a Geordie accent, for example. But I'm guessing you could apply that. The problem with applying that to an offshore call center is no one has the same accents, for example. So you have this, it'll be more like, you know, I don't know women speak to women or yeah, you could do it gender, but also there's an element of profiling of the data beforehand and how applicable is the profiling or how suitable is the profiling beforehand. Um, but yeah, I say on when the leads come through, I say we've got I've got clients that I know they use different types of leads: list rental, coverage leads, telephone survey leads, hot web leads. We've filtered them all in. I know when it gets to the client side, there is some clever logic at their side where they're saying, right, this is where the lead came from. It goes to that that call center team. Sometimes it's based on experience of the agent. Sometimes it's based just on certain agents just having a better conversion rate of the leads type. So yeah, sometimes there's a science behind it. Sometimes it's just the dialer manager doing a great job. I think, like you said, when they have, they're running the sales, and if it's the same with the survey um, overseas, they'll um, they actually give like an update of the news and the weather and everything else that the agents can access. And then they've got some talking points they can go through. So they'll say, you know, isn't the weather horrible in Blackpool? <laughs> well, they're saying yeah. like you know, hundred degrees. Yeah, there's an element of obviously when you're looking at offshore call centre, obviously keeping the agent a good call centre will keep the agents abreast of what the local UK sort of news is. Be it a point talking point with weather um, or updates on news, just so they can build a rapport and a bit of a bit of a conversation. Um, I know some of the centres we've we've been to before. Um, obviously like any call centre in the world, some of the agents are sort of younger and they have lots of um, like the local football, like English football teams like Manchester United, like football teams that like the football shirts up on the walls and stuff to try and obviously make the agents build a rapport. It's the most important thing with the, with the consumers. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so the next question, Chris, is just kind of a I guess the sort of the biggest challenges you face um, with offshore leads, I mean, either compared to other leads that you do, or if that's marketing, or just um, I guess to get the most out of the leads uh, when you're selling them on. Yeah, so the, like you touched on there, one of the challenges um, I'll say is so just because I like I like to control things myself is 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 control being in some cases so so far apart. Obviously, that's one of the things we we do as much as we can this year is obviously restricted it is is spending time with our suppliers so spending time on on site with our with our suppliers makes a big difference because that takes away one of the challenges which is i'm here in the uk and for example one of my suppliers might be in in the philippines or might be in in, in india i don't necessarily know what's going on as many zoom calls and video calls etc we can do there's nothing like being on site in the call center, listening to the, the buzz going going on, sitting down with some of the team leaders while they're briefing the agents on some new campaigns and some questions, really get to feel of how things are going. When I'm so far away, I feel sometimes a bit detached. Um, that's I'd say the, one of our challenges is um, is being so being so far away. Obviously, we counter that with with doing video calls all, all, all the time, conversations, having our own QC process of the leads to ensure that. The leads we're receiving are what we're expecting them to be um, and if they're not it's then working with the call centers down to the right level that needs to be dealt with the agent team level or, or trust management team to make sure that the leads are meeting our expectations in terms of accuracy behavior of consumer agents um, consumers and agent engagement and ultimately clients feedback conversion rate um, other challenges that, that we've had that we have is um, like Simon touched on there is is perception. Um, there is um, bad press around um, some offshore telephone server leads. Some of that is founded on experiences uh, from bad practices in the past, and some of that is just founded, I, I believe, on fear of the unknown. Um, so we do spend quite a lot of time working with our clients, explaining to them how our suppliers work, what we do as all media to, to mitigate risks in the middle, to alleviate the fears. Um, that are sometimes unfounded regarding the accuracy or legitimacy of the leads that could be provided. Yeah. So do you know, um, as a whole, what, like you must have seen some bad things though. So if we go on to like how you can improve it in the future, but I, li I like concentrating on the stuff that's been really bad. So over your um, tenure of uh, like dealing with offshore centers, um, what like 
what's the stuff that's as bad as it gets? You must have seen people like splicing call recordings. You hear stories of of things like that. Yeah, you hear um, stories and practices of of things like that happening. Um, I believe where I am now, and, and historically, we've never been victim to to those those sort of practices. But you hear stories of things like splicing calls or never even speaking to the customer and generating um, just totally forcing um, forcing leads leads through. Um, I suppose if you compare it to an online lead, it's a rogue affiliate. It's like do we've yeah. done online leads in the past, you end up with lots of leads coming through, and if you haven't got the controls in place to to spot the the, the rogue work going going on, um, it's the same. It's the same in telephone. But yeah, that's the that's the kind of things that could could be the risk or yeah. could become problems. And I guess if, like you said, you've vetted them properly and got the relationship and everything, it makes it easier. I know in the past when um, we bought uh, offshore tele leads for a client. Um, so going back a few years, this is. Um, so there were two things we did. So one is um, we started getting these call record. No, sorry, there were three issues that we had. So one is we got these call recordings back, um, and every single person. So what they do is ask someone's name, right? So they go like, "Is that Mr. John Smith?" And they yeah. go, "Yeah." And then they go, "Do you want a call from?" And say the brand name. And the, what we did is had got this software that was like a voice. Uh, analysis software and the same yeah that they said when confirming their name they put yeah, on the end sound bite. yeah do you want a <laughs> so you just go yeah and then they do it again with yeah like that exactly the same um yeah so we had that and then the other was um uh we started putting calls that were being made into um a team of people that we got listening to calls um, and taking out anyone that was potentially negative yeah. at all. So it wasn't necessarily 100% negative with them going like, no, I don't want to call, but it, you know, they'd be like umming and ahhing, or it was like, you know, you couldn't really yeah, hear it or something. Um, and then we ended up taking loads and loads of them out and it massively boosted the conversion rates. I mean, these aren't standard things necessarily, they're just things like- No, but they're, but, but they're, they're, they're great. The great practice. I actually remember that. Um, I remember you doing that because we had to ship you hundreds of leads on a regular basis. Like, I can't remember your centre was listening to them, but yeah, it's things like that are great. A great idea. It's listening to. So it's listening to calls. It's understanding how the call, call centres work. It's but it's working also with the call centres um, in terms of the, the telephone surveys. Telephone survey companies are companies that are obviously trying to trying to survive and, and make money, and they have been victim themselves in the past to um uk companies abusing um abusing them and sort of throwing back rejections that aren't necessarily valid so it's working on a level and respecting respecting your new partners but yeah you've got to have controls in place so obviously listening to calls is it is one thing um working with them to make sure that the questions that they are running on your behalf or your client's behalf flow that fit their script so then the sales pitch that they're ultimately trying to work through the script is nice and easy for their, their agents to be able to um, to work with. So then there's no pressure. And also putting pressure on the centers is, all, it's like anything, it's like put pressure on any sales team. Can you hit your numbers? Can you hit your 300 leads, 500 leads a day? Well, you have to understand what the scope of the limit, what the what, what source can provide mm. and what needs to be done to expand that. Because you can't, it's like any salesperson in any, any walk of life, you can't just magic up extra sales without without something changing either working longer hours working more productivity per hour and what you don't want to do is is push them over the limit where there's a, a compromise that's got to be made and what you described there is is some sort of bad practice splicing in the same yes throughout the call well that should never happen but you can have mechanisms in place to make sure that what you're getting is genuine leads. Um, i think you've touched on a really interesting point there as well which is we're talking about offshore tele leads and the conversion rates and yeah. the way we see it in the UK, but we're sort of forgetting that there's people sitting there in, um, not, I wouldn't call them sweatshops, and they traditionally might have been that. I think they've changed a lot in certain countries. <laughs> this, the agents themselves, right, they're just doing a job. And like you said, they have targets Absolutely. to hit. They're, you know, they're trying yeah. their best. And they're That's what you're saying. You, 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 offshore server, there are some fantastic companies that we work with and some of the some of the facilities of some centers I've, I visited are 
on par, if not better, than some of the UK call centres that, that, I, that I work with and currently work with. Um, and I can't think, I'm trying to think now, of some of the centres I've visited that would be as he described as in Tatty or, or, or Switzerland. I don't think any of the suppliers that we've got, obviously it's, it's important to us that we work with partners that are giving their, giving their all. And for all of the partners we work with, I believe that they are treating their staff well being paid paid good good money um, and this is a this is a great um, project for for a lot of um, telephone service centers all around the world obviously there are companies in the uk um that, that do yeah. that and bit, bits of europe as well and obviously traditionally it's it's dealt with off um, offshore um, but i think the standards have definitely improved in terms of facilities in the in the recent years um but yeah, it's, yeah. And, and i guess one of the other challenges and we sort of might come on to this mm. in a second the GDPR, but is the data, right? I mean, that's t that's that's what a lot of the brands and stuff focus on is where does the data come from that these agents are calling? So in the yeah. past, obviously, before GDPR and um, other things before that, it was, might have been slightly easier because you could just get a list of data that had some third-party opt-in. Yeah, yeah, obviously, the PECR has, hasn't changed. Um, yeah. It just hasn't, but obviously, e-privacy's revision that may change some of the um the calling and the gdpr has awakened a lot of people to to what goes on and there's a few nuances in the gdpr that weren't there in in the old data protection obviously it's two and a half years since it came into force four and a half years since it was sort of ratified but yeah it's that's always the first question where where does the calling file come from it's um but all of the centers all the partners we work with have we've worked a lot with a lot of the, the centers um, to ensure that the data they are dialing is 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 compliant, um, or to, so what we find is there's a lot more. I'd say when we first started speaking to to centres, there was a lot of conversation. Or I've got data from the local market, etc. To which, obviously, that data isn't compliant. There isn't. There's no. There's no story. There's no where it came from. Um, so we do a lot of work to make sure our partners are using data that is in line with the latest guidance from from what the ico are publishing um, and we do a lot of work with the centers obviously giving them information that is released by the ico regarding um, direct marketing guidance in terms of when they're buying data so if they're buying data from uk uk companies what what generally is being bought is um sort of this rental co-sponsorship um type type data um, which obviously is a shrinking pool of available data, which obviously can become problematic, the same as call centers in the UK buying data for outbound telemarketing campaigns. There isn't as much data available that they can have confidence in that is, um, is compliant. But that's, yeah, the big question we've asked by our, all of our clients is, okay, the concept of it's great, these people say yes to my question, but how was that phone call made in the first place? So we have to make sure all of our partners are given us a information about where the data has come from and part of our process is working with the centres to make sure that, that that is what it is and there's checks done as part of our due diligence like anything it all comes back to processes and due diligence um yeah, yeah like you said simon maybe some of the horror stories from years ago was like okay oh, I, I met a guy down the pub and he gave me a cd full of data um I, that fortunately has has been eradicated great and what um, do you know? What would be interesting? I just was suddenly thinking about it while you were talking is that um, a lot of brands buy data that's opted into them, but don't that you know it's like a one-hit wonder, as you know. Yeah. They put it into a dialing cycle. If they can't sell, it'd be interesting to see if they'd actually then, because obviously you know they have the relationship with that data, then they could really put it potentially back into like an offshore call center to minimise their cost of reinvigorating the data. And then recreate leads from yeah. that to feed back over to the UK, for example. Possibly, you obviously, as anything, you'd have to look at what what the consumer agreed to or signed up to, wherever they signed up to, in terms of the fair process notice, and obviously the outcome of the call. So you can maybe say, yeah, when the person signed up to this website, they agreed to have the details shared, and there was half a dozen companies listed, so the customer could expect these calls. If one of those companies called that number. And the customer wasn't interested you'd have to then do a serious lia to understand whether there's it'd be fair to phone that number again but yeah there's um like anything it's there's always options to, to look at where look at the customers again 
Um, you yeah. hear stories in the past where some telephone surveys are done in partnership with other companies where there's maybe a customer list um, or existing customers and it's a, a more cost-effective route to ring through those those customers in yeah, that's what, that's what brand I was, it would be done. Yeah, that's what I was thinking is that so do it as a standalone question almost for that company. Yeah. So, you, you know, they're calling almost on behalf of them. So um, and it's all it's to do is to reinvigorate the relationship. Yeah, up, because obviously, up. you know, if coming as a lead from somewhere else, they've... Yeah, up, up, update preferences. We go through to this, the key brand. And then, oh, while we've got you on the phone, we've also got some partners. Would you be interested in hearing from X, Y, and Z about this product? Yeah. Mm. You could look at that. Well, one thing yeah. I was, um, yeah. was going to ask, and I guess I'm going to ask this more... Well, for someone who doesn't really know this world as well, so just kind of people listening, and uh, it's more kind of looking at the attitude of uh, the, the people you're contacting. And I guess since uh, GDPR, obviously, the way we operate has had to, had to change, and you know the way the marketers will work. But have you noticed a sort of a difference in kind of people's attitudes and the leads themselves? So they kind of now be a bit more like, "Where have you got my details from?" Are they a bit more aware of this kind of thing. Could consumer, yeah. I'd- in general, I'll say I'll say it's not necessarily specifically on on telephone and survey, but in general, since GDPR, I would say consumers are more aware of their rights, and quite rightly, um, oh. especially for the first sort of six months to a year of GDPR sort of coming in, because there was a lot of press, there was a lot of awareness. Um, so consumers, some of them very well informed, some of them misinformed. But I would say general, yeah, customers are or consumers are more informed about about their rights. Um, but I would say the number of consumers that have got genuine concerns and problems in terms of, I told the agent I don't want phone calls, I'm not interested, why did I still get phone calls, I never made this survey call, those numbers I'd say I've seen massively reduce. And I think some of that is in part with the training that's been going on within the call centres in the first place of them making those phone calls, where the training of these agents has been massively improved. So the so the consumer's concerns are listened to and they're dealt with there and then. So if a customer has a object to the phone call, they're not just being hung up on and the lead just distributed across across a number of campaigns, which maybe used to happen, like Simon alluded to, in sort of old bad practices. Um, there's a better awareness at agent level to say, yeah, you know what, this customer's not interested. There's professionally informed them where they got the date, where the details came from. There's distribution of add this number to your do not call list. So that customer's wishes have been expressed and shared. And then the agent moves on to the, to the next call. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's been beneficial, um, the awareness of, of GDPR to consumers. And I think that's actually had a positive effect because the lead quality has, has improved as a result. What do you see the future of like offshore tele leads being? Not, I don't mean just in terms of with with Aura. I mean, like as a yeah. profession. As a, as a channel, I'd say it's it's a continuing involvement. There's still still plenty of um, client demand, um, although there has been obviously this year has been very up and down with clients pausing, not pausing open up their call centers, closing the call centers again, being allowed to sell the products in different ways because obviously various lockdowns. I would say I'd see some of the um, partners in terms of doing telephone survey, bringing the survey more to a sale, more of a pre-sale as opposed to a, do you want a phone call about product X, Y, just one, two questions. There's a lot of scope to maybe make that a three or four question about that specific product and bring that product up the value up the food chain. I'm not talking about turn into a hotkey or to a, turn into a um, a really high value lead that has a very high conversion rate. I'm talking about instead of just saying, "Oh, are you interested in this product?" or arrange for a company X to give you a call. It's, "Are you interested in this service?" Yes. What particular element of it is the um, is making this of interest to you? Is it saving money? Is it environmental concerns? So then that way, when it gets through to the client, then the engagement of the consumer is a lot greater. Um, the value of the lead will obviously increase. Um, also, I see some, I see it with, with, with some partners already, like just embracing some technology that's been around for years already on the online world, such as we see now some, um, some fantastic improvement in contact rating and results just by getting the leads through real time. So some of our partners are, 
pushing the leads through to us real time, the same as you do with co-reg sites. The leads come through, pass it through to the client quicker. We see an improvement in contact rate. Um, the customer engagement's obviously improving as well. So just embracing some of the fairly simple bits of technology that are available um, is where I see the product as a service involving the telephone survey. When you said um, like potentially qualifying it more, is that in the sense yeah. of like an online form fill or are you meaning, yeah, more in a survey sort of sense? Well, more of, so instead of asking, yeah, so. More you know what I mean? Like if you, because if you were doing it as like a solace form fill for like a lead, you, you know, you yeah. kind of nail like really get them like honed aren't you and they're, they're, a call's gonna happen and they're expected to, yeah exactly if, if they can save money or if they can do whatever they'll potentially convert yeah if you know the solar's call you know you ask five six questions and almost like pre-sale the product maybe ask like three or four questions so on a telephone survey you maybe you'd be asking four to seven maybe eight brand opt-in questions but they'd all be one or two questions such as do you have this product? Yes, no. Do you want a phone call from this company? We're not qualified. They're not normally qualifying a bit further than this. It's, do you have this product at home? Yes, you do. Okay. Would you be interested in receiving this service? Yes. What would be your motivation to buy the product? So you would reduce the number of leads you generate, but those leads you're generating are the ones that can be more engaged, which will then give you, obviously, the ultimate the increased conversion rate. Because we're... Yeah. Yeah. So... Obviously, there is a space exactly what you described there. There's a lot of companies out there doing what you described there, maybe doing like a five or six sort of pre sale, like a hotkey sort of qualification, um, but obviously not transferring that call over, maybe just yeah. agreeing a callback. Um, obviously, they have generally dedicated campaigns with very targeted data. Um, to call on, talking about someone while on the survey call, asking three or four questions, qualifying the lead, paying obviously the value of the lead is much more uh, than just a single tier question. I was just thinking, imagine you had like some affiliate activity that you were doing and running a um, promotion to and the um, publisher had the list of those um, prospects that obviously they were emailing out yeah. to. Um, you could get the clickers on the uh, page um, and put them into um, a call center with the same like list of questions that they've had on the, on the form fill. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously there's been some yeah, engagement yeah. like via an email or something else for them to actually click through, but they've not completed the form. And then they could go in and it'd just be the same list of people that say the email was being sent to, for example. Yes, yes, in theory. Yeah, you could do it. It's a cool center activity. And the technology behind the scenes is the same. It's about firing the, the information through. As long as they've got uh, the telephone number they're matching with. As long as the telephone yeah. number and ultimately, if you're going to make a phone call to somebody, you've always got to ask the question, could the customer expect this phone call? Would they welcome mm. the phone call? Obviously, that always begs the question about, well, if they've dropped off a form, you're talking about when someone's dropped off a form midway. Yeah, because like, yeah, yeah. if you call them and they go, oh, yeah, I, I clicked it to unsubscribe, why are you yeah. calling me? <laughs> you've got to think about why. You always got to, it's, yeah. about, again, it's, about, it's about the calling form. Why, why is this person being called? You've always got to ask yourself the question, could that person have expected the phone call? Um, mm. And obviously, that, that sticks to the first phone call being made, but also that sticks to when you pass the lead on to the client, you've got to make sure that that consumer could have expected a further follow-up phone call from the client. And, if they, and that's to do with making sure that the description's right, the opt-in's right, um, and the consumer's wishes have been, have been listened to. Yeah. What's, um, just going back to something we touched on earlier, just, I, I meant to ask you at the time, I forgot. Yeah. Why, why do people take part in the survey? Um, because the opportunity to save um, save money on some on, on deals or potentially save money to get some better deals because there are some there maybe some products and services that could be of interest to them um, and yeah so there's it also, at the beginning of every single call the customers give them the choice could you is it okay can we take a couple of minutes of your time to take part in this marketing questionnaire so the customers are informed right at the front why the purpose of the call they're informed that it won't take too long um, and they're given a choice not to so um they say there's no incentive so do this to win a prize do this it's would you like to help a couple of minutes um some of these companies may have services or products that are suitable for you that could save you money so it's 
yeah, I'd say the main motivation is the, the potential to save money or get a better deal. Because um, yeah. most of the clients, if you look at the type of clients that buy leads, they're generally offering a product the customer's already got. So it's an energy company. Okay, we might be able to get you a better deal by swapping from your current provider to this provider. Okay. Or if it's a life insurance provider, you've either not got cover in place, so we they're being told about um, cover that could be that they could or should have, or if they've already got life insurance, it's about saving money on a um, with a different provider. Um, so it's the only real the obvious one that jumps out to me where they're not looking to potentially save money would be a charity because obviously you give them money, but again, you're doing something good. You, Yeah. And, and I guess that's why it might help with um, like the calling on behalf of so being associated with a list of data. So for example, a brand gave you that or a company like a publisher that's got a list of data and they say, Hi, I'm calling from, and it's already a brand or a brand name that they know. It just strengthens that um, oh, yeah. potential for yeah, a conversation. Exactly. Yeah, potentially, potentially massive reward. The same as any, if you were to put that that type of data into, stroke into as, as a list rental file into um, a call centre in, in the UK selling energy or life insurance or, or charity. There's a brand association, which, mm. like anything, the customer's like, oh, I know that brand. I understand why they're calling me. Um, yes, yeah, that affinity, isn't it? Yeah, it's the it's about brand brand affinity. Yeah, like, that makes a massive difference. Um, and we'll see that with a lot of the a lot of the partners we work with, they keep regular contact with the individuals that, that conduct the survey. So obviously they've got to make sure, as a data owner, they're maintaining their data. So they need to be recontacting these individuals on a regular basis to make sure that there's um, the customers informed, that they can express any changes to their preferences. But also from the call centre partners' point of view, that's doing the telephone survey, they can then demonstrate that I've spoken to this person X number of times in the last. 12 months and here is the call recordings to prove those previous engagements and look there's the customer saying yes it's okay to give me a call back in the future um sure again to some extent there's an element of brand affinity um that they're trying to build with these individuals yeah cool. well uh, i think um that's been really really informative chris thank you for for helping uh, i think right. a lot um, i really appreciate it. i think hopefully people listening will have learned quite a bit too which is really really useful um i just kind of want to finish really by asking asking about you and Aura and sort of seeing what, yeah. what you've got next, uh, what your plans are for going to next year. And also if anyone listening to this kind of thinks either they want to connect with you to, yeah. to learn more like what, what the best way of doing that is. But yeah, obviously we're, Aura Media, obviously we are, so we've known, like that's what you guys contact us regarding the, the telephone survey. And obviously part of that is, it's because of, we've been doing it, but yeah, our, our area of, um, of growth has over the last, 18 months has seen us um, look at more digital leads. Um, so we're doing a lot more with a, with a number of brands that we are um, generating um, our sort of own, own customer base, as we say, with people like with brands like Switch Your Provider and, and Your Last Wish, two of the websites we've, we've launched. So we're looking to diversify ourselves as a business. Um, Chris, Chris does what we always, we always suggest to do, uh, <laughs> yeah. Daniel, which is build your own brands. Yeah, yeah build your own brands. So um, as much as I absolutely love, and I love all the partners we work with, where we're sort of reselling, that's that's core to our core to our business and the why we set set the company up. But we have launched a couple of our own our own brands where we are looking to, or we are generating the leads ourselves through various different um, channels and and mediums, including telephone, online, social media, search, etc., and passing those leads onto onto the the, the clients. That's one area where we're going to be looking to to grow in the in, in the next year got a few other little irons in the fire that we say that we're hopefully going to progress further for, for the new year all going to be around um, direct, direct marketing um and and data but after this year we've had now it's really given us sort of chance to sort of sit back and think right where can we take take the business i think we've had a a great first two and a half coming up three years of, of our business i think now's the time for us to stand up and go right here we are all media we're going to be taking our own brands creating our own products while still continuing our core um data broken business um through, through some of the growth that's really cool yeah that's it we yeah. don't have it as much now but when we used to work in the office together and um i'd hear simon talking to clients probably heard him speak to you on the phone quite a bit and <laughs> that was the one thing i, I just heard him telling saying to everyone like it, it was me i've been building brands i've been doing it that way and it's, it's actually very nice to hear someone is doing that so yeah yeah, no, it's, yeah. It's something obviously we've always done. So my previous companies have always been sort of data product product owners, um, 
and there is obviously control again, again it puts, puts us in the control we we can dictate how much money we spend where the leads where they go through um and obviously put put our own value on on the leads we we generate and we're not reliant on on other people certain certain products it's possible to do certain things it becomes a little more challenging so what we're doing on the online stuff we can control that and we can cap it but whether we would want to go and i wouldn't want to go and create a, a big list rental um direct marketing database there are enough companies out there with some fantastic databases i wouldn't want to go and compete with those guys um but i do think there's a space within some of the sectors we've we've launched for high quality qualified leads that are what they say on the tin um what i've seen a lot of um is a lot of companies come into the world of lead generation and direct marketing with a massively oversold product we're saying oh here's my leads they're generated through x y z channel but when you just scratch the surface you don't even got to dig that deep you realize that the headline of what the product is is literally just now a headline behind the scenes it's just coverage data or co-sponsorship data that's just been relabeled up with a different brand name baffles me how anybody can operate with any type of brokering model without disclosing where the data's coming from um yeah. it's clearly it's clearly written in gdpr if you're going to process data, you've got to tell the customer where it come from, what you're going to do with it. So I don't understand how clients buy data from blind networks, but no, crazy, isn't they it? Do. Yeah, no. they do. But um, but yeah, no, exactly. The transparency is all the way down the chain from the client to supplier, supplier to client, um, and supplier to, pros- and supplier to prospect. Yes, all the way through. Yeah, all the way through. Yeah, all the way through. It's all, all the way down the chain. Um, we, we we're just facilitating it to happen. Cool. cool. I think that's actually a, a really good uh, place to end it because I say it's only, only our second podcast so far, but obviously, you know, we're inviting people who are doing really well in each individual area. And so far, there's a little theme going of transparency. The people who are doing well are the, it, within their sort of sectors, the ones who are com- operating on a completely transparent level. Yeah. So it's, it's nice to keep that going and see that theme developing where it, you know, people are working. It, it was our core thing when we set up um, two and a half years ago, be fully transparent. We've seen a number of our, um, competitors, shall we say, follow suit because their hand has been forced. Um, we still see people out there running a blind network. Um, hopefully, um, that will change. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, for that, Chris. All right, that's it was right. really good. Yeah, Thank thanks you so much, Chris. You're listening to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast, and now it's time for the post chat rundown. It's pretty simple. We talk through the conversation, assess what we've learned from our guests and pull out the key ideas for you. The stuff we think can make a real difference to your legion. So that was uh, Chris Hadland from Aura Media Group. What did you think about that, Simon? Yeah, it was really good. It was, um, you know, offshore tele leads uh, that can be viewed in two ways. So one, if you're involved in them like Chris's, um, you obviously, you know, he's done, he's been doing it for that long and done that much due diligence and worked with that many offshore sensors. He's probably seen the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. Because a lot, for a lot of people, and for myself included in some ways, um, I've always, you know, bit, I've seen this a bit with like Pandora's box where you don't really want to open it and see what's underneath. Um, but when you're dealing with someone like Chris and he's obviously, you know, been doing this for so long, and encountered that many problems, but being able to overcome them, um, he sort of demystifies it a bit, I think. Um, you know, why, I mean, the thing with why people do the surveys in the first place, and he's right, I mean, you know, some people just want to save money. Uh, so if you get a call and someone says, you know, if you want to help save money or get a better deal doing X, Y, or Z, um, and the origination of the data, um, especially if you're a UK company, um, you know, it's like absolutely critical. Um, and I suppose it's like anything, you know, he's got these relationships that have gone back years with these call centers. Um, so they trust him, he trusts them. Um, so I'd imagine, yeah, for someone like him, it's probably a lot, it's, it might be different to somebody new going into it, I guess. I don't know, yes, it's, um, it was good getting more of an inside view into offshore call centers and the sort of the way they generate leads and the way it's viewed and um, how they do it, I guess. How did I mean, you find it? 
I find it interesting. I think I sort of touched upon at the end, though. Um, the people we work with, I guess it's almost a deliberate choice, um, but they, they are the people who are ethical, who treat data well, and it's like, I guess they're attracted to us because we do that. And similarly, we want to work with people who treat, you know, have the same kind of values as we do. Um, and obviously, Chris fits that mold. But I kind of got the impression or like, maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's just my perception that there are, there are lots of people who aren't like that maybe in that world who maybe do things like spraying prey and just like calling people and, you know, things like that. You were talking about the splicing thing. I didn't really fully understand that. Um, but I got the impression that there's a dark side of sort of an underbater, which maybe we didn't quite see. But I, mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you Despite think? The splicing is yeah, just the, you know, um, Cutting out where they said no and putting yes in there. No, like, I, I, I got that, but what I mean is what like what I don't understand is the point of that because yeah, it makes it okay to sort of sell the lead on, but surely that lead is doesn't want to be sold to. So what's the point? Like it becomes it's like yeah. it's just like it's almost it seems valueless. So to me. The, yeah, it's a it's the sort of numbers game. I think what has happened in the past, whether it still happens or not now, I don't know, but. Um, it's it's sort of diluting potentially the quality uh, is the way it's viewed because um, I mean in some way it's really weird because when you dilute quality if you get away with it right it actually means that the original quality was that good that um, it means you can like infiltrate it with crap and it still be quite good or like you know, hit or a wire whatever it is you're looking for so. Um, you know, it requires like a maturity for a channel, doesn't it? To um, stop thinking about just revenue coming in the short term um, profits and whatever else from it and start thinking about like how you can actually make this thing better. How can we make sure it's compliant? How can we um, ensure that people will carry on working with us? How can we remove this tag of like a, um, you know, this black cloud that sort of surrounds offshore tele leads um, and whether they'll ever manage to get rid of it I don't know but it, you can see just people like Chris and it, it comes down to experience and he's seen it all you can tell um, and it, I think especially it was really interesting when he said he went over there um, like fairly regularly and it's obviously just to keep his finger on the pulse of what's happening in these call centers over there um, I didn't realize he did that yeah I think it's, I think the, the interesting there is it comes back to kind of the quality of the lead because I guess yeah. you can, you know, you, it can be a numbers game and you can just sell loads of rubbish leads or, you know, and make a little quick book. But in the long run, that's surely clients going to keep buying from you if you're not giving good leads, are they? Like, I guess that must be, so there's, there's two ways of looking at it. It's like, yeah, you, you can ethically want to do better, but doing it that way will also give you better leads, I imagine. So it kind of works. Yeah, I, I think it still comes back to this thing that we talk about quite a lot, which is um, the priority of the CPA. So if your priority of the CPA is all in the sales function, because what happens is that um, all the call centers overseas will generate the leads and they go into a call center in the UK, um, uh, which typically might be outsourced by the brand, um, or it could be the brand's own one. And what they'll have is hundreds of agents all dialing leads, and they only need the CPA of the products quite high, right? Um, and they only need to make a number of sales every, I don't know what the amount is with tele-leads, but let's say it was something like co-sponsor or even list data that uh, Chris alluded to. They might only need to make a sale one every three hours, and they'll be calling 30 records an hour. So if you, the, the reason why, part of the reason why tele-leads work is that um, the person's already engaged on the telephone call, right, from a number that they might not recognize. So if you then transfer that into the call center, trying to make the leads, the biggest thing that affects um, outside of the quality of the lead, that affects whether they're going to make a sale is whether they can actually speak to people, right? Yeah. So would they probably get a very high uh, decision-maker contact with those offshore tele-leads, which is part of the reason I'm coming back to that dilution, why they can probably be um, diluted. And I think... If they could remove the CPA from being hundreds of agents only getting like a sale every three hours from however many 90 records and actually start looking at really fine tuning performance um, of the conversions from the lead. So they go, you know, 20%, 25% or whatever, and then put more of the 
um, allocated CPA back into the originating call center that was doing the calls um, overseas. It comes back to what Chris was saying, where they were like much more qualified. Because imagine it was like a soulless call, so rather than it being a survey, they were um, calling on behalf of the brand, and it was the leads that had not already converted or whatever over the previous month. So it was all opted into them, the brand, uh, the overseas call center. So they said, oh, we're calling from X company or on behalf of X company, um, which want to run through some questions. I mean, the quality would be amazing, right? And so, I, so it's sort of, it's what the offshore call center has to compete with as well. I mean, this is what everyone takes for granted is, and it's why it was interesting that Chris alluded to it as well as the actual agents there and their sort of jobs. And, you know, we are dealing with people and, you know, uh, like, I mean, the ones, it sounds like Chris works with aren't sort of um, sweat factories or anything, but I'm sure they exist. Um, and this, this is why the, you know, this black clouds can sort of surround the offshore telelead world. It's not just the, like the practices or the negative practices they follow, like splicing calls and everything. It's this view of like sweatshops, mm. um, poorly paid agents, um, you know, people just ringing reams of data and everything. And the, the way to get rid of that is, like you said, is the quality of the lead. Just get the quality of the lead really, really high. Obviously, follow all the compliance Make sure the prospect actually wants to hear from you. And when you do call, knows um, the brand, whatever it is that's calling. Um, that could be, yeah, the future of it. It's, you could see it working. Yeah. What do you think? Sure, as you were sort of saying, I think it's quite, um, it's quite interesting. It's almost like all lead generation, whether it's tele-leads or whatever type of lead it is, it does kind of come down to a similar idea. And when you say they're the quality of the leads, I was kind of thinking like, I was like, well, that's kind of like a, almost an abstract way of saying it really what that means is a person you know a good quality is just a person who wants yeah. to be contacted and when you send to sit that really basic form so like, why would you try and contact someone who want to be contacted why would you even put money or effort into that like yeah. if, you can, if you can sort of just let's just connecting brands that people want to be contacted and actually to be sold to or want to buy something it's almost like we have a complicated thing it's just really simple and think about that all lead generation yeah. it's just that um that's what I was trying it's to really, it is really, it's, it's interesting. It's really simple, isn't it? Just to clarify, you meant good quality leads, not a good quality person. A good, yeah, good quality. Good quality <laughs> good if you get a good quality person as well. Yeah, every throw an extra <laughs> level of that into it, yeah. Just someone will tell a few jokes and stuff or, you know, some witty anecdotes yeah. and stuff well, like yeah, that it, on the phone. I guess so. As well, it just makes it, I don't know. <laughs> if, if you're in a call centre as well, I guess, if you're spending three hours before... For, you know, for every one sale, I bet it's just really demotivating as well. Like, I bet it's just like yeah. a difficult job. Whereas if you can't, you are selling like, the quality is like, actually, it's quite a nice job if you can actually talk to people and have a conversation mm. with them. It's another way of the ethics. Well, yeah, and the, you know, this again, um, the, whole, the whole thing's a bit of a vicious circle. Cause, you know, you have low quality leads from people that might not necessarily want to hear from you. Mm. You have like very demotivated agents, like you prefer to work at McDonald's. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you might do. Um, they're very poorly paid. And then they're, they're only hitting a sale like once every three hours. I mean, what's the point? Yeah, it might hit ROI. You know, like you still make money on it. But like literally the entire way down the chain, you're either pissing people off, demotivating them. It's not a job. It's not a life that people want. Like, Reverse that. Imagine getting like high quality leads, job satisfaction from if we're talking offshore tele leads, right? Mm. Job satisfaction on that and going to highly trained, they've been highly trained uh, agent, it's hitting loads of sales targets. And in the middle, there's always prospects that want these calls. It's completely transparent about what's going to happen. Um, it takes a complete massive shift in mentality, right? I mean, it's huge. It's really difficult to like overestimate um, how difficult that would be for some companies, not to necessarily do, but just to like transform the way they think. Because they have these big sheds of call centers. Yeah. Um, filled with right. thousands of agents. And that's what you're doing now to then say, to try and sell that idea to them. Uh, it's a difficult idea, but I guess yeah. what you can do is you can sell it to people like Chris and other people. First. I mean, not in but you know, people like Chris who might be doing it and 
if everyone at all levels starts kind of taking this idea on, then I guess it will trickle down and you know, things generally yeah. will uh, become a little better in that sense. But I think COVID's actually changed it a little bit because obviously a lot of the call centers in the UK, and I think even in countries like India where they might have offshore call centers, um, that's have a lot of their agents work from home. And what they did is um, put a lot of the um, not so good agents on furlough um, and then had really high quality ones working at home. Um, and they wanted to feed them really good leads to keep them motivated while they're at home. And so they like, in some places you saw this transition into that sort of model. That's very interesting actually. Yeah. Some an accident, like a happy accident in a weird way. Not to scrap yeah. in a sense, but you know what I mean? Like most things that you never yeah. plan to do, but it kind of weirdly has a good result. Um, yeah. cool. Well, yeah, let's, uh, I'm looking forward to the next one now. Um, we'll, uh, we'll get to find who it is. Yeah, actually, let's, let's, let's end on that note. If you, uh, will say to anyone listening that, you know, if they do a phone lead generation or want to talk to us, uh, connect with myself or sign on, on LinkedIn and we'll, we'll hook it up. Let's, let's, let's leave it like that. Thanks for listening to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast, the show for serious lead generators. Be sure to hit subscribe to hear more from those at the very cutting edge of the lead gen world.